St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. I mean, I remember being there when I can Tina playing. You hear Tina screaming, please, please, please. And it was pretty, you know, I still get uh, a rush every time I feel feel because it it's just a, you know, it's just a good feeling. That's George Edick Jr. And he's talking about his memories of his father's Club Imperial on West Florissant Avenue in North St. Louis. Now, back when Edick was a kid in the 1950s, the club hosted Ike Turner and his Kings of Rhythm, and that was years before there even was a duo known as Ike and Tina Turner, who later also played at the club. I'm Nancy Fowler, and this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. Club Imperial is now a rundown shell in an abandoned strip. Recently, it almost went under the wrecking ball, but the St. Louis Preservation Board let it stand. George Edick Jr. was among those who fought to save the building. It's now owned by a real estate investor who'd hoped to flip it. Edick is a bass guitar player in a band called Edick's Way with his girlfriend, Vicki Michaels. He's gotta be strong, use his head, turn me on. He talked with me about the heyday of Club Imperial, named for a popular dance style, and how it helped bridge the divide between black and white musicians in St. Louis. My dad had a, the Imperial-style dancing. We now take you to George Edick's Club Imperial. And Ike Turner played that kind of uh, shuffle beat that is good for that kind of dancing. And uh, that's, you know, they, they started the Imperial-style dancing. And that's what, when I, you know, I gave me a guitar when I was a little kid. I was, I was about eight years old. So tell me about him giving you that guitar. Tell me about that moment. Oh, well, I would, you know, always, this is kind of around the time when Tina first started with him. He would uh, always leave his guitar on the stage. They rehearsed at the club all the time. He'd always leave his guitar on the stage. And he, he, I asked him if I could play it one day, and I didn't know nothing. <laughs> I did play a little piano before that. I just picked the guitar up. And I, every time I came, we... You'd uh, play with him? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. What would you play? Back then? Oh, back he would just show me stuff back then, just a little, you know, just a little standard songs, you know, 12-bar blues. He says, any rock and roll music you plays comes from 12-bar blues. He says, you listen to Rolling Stones, Hendrix, any of them guys. It's all, they all come from the 12-bar blues. And now, at this time, he was not famous. No. You were just getting instructions from a guy. Yeah, but he he did have a hit record with Rocket 88 before that, but it's way before Tina. And then my dad put a TV show on Channel 2 with him, and they called it Party Time. Okay, and so then when he actually, you played the guitar, but he actually gave you one at that, one point. Yeah, that, that. yeah. <laughs> now, I was probably t- 10 or 11, you know, and he gave me a guitar, and I could play a little bit, you know, and uh, I just started. Then I started playing all the time. And then I got in a band, and we had three guitar players, twelve years old, but we didn't have a bass player. <laughs> and I had an Ampeg B15 bass amp, 
So I bought a bass, and I've been playing play bass ever since, you know? Kind of, I just, bass guitar and me kind of walk together, you know? <laughs> yeah, so back in the, so the when was the heyday of Club Imperial, would you say? I would say 64, 65. Okay. That's when Bob Cuban played there. They they, they had a hit record with the uh, uh, the Cheater, and then Johnny Rabbit came in and Bruno. And they made Bruno's Bat Cave down in the basement of the Club Imperial. What was that? It was a it was an, a teen club. When the Batman thing came out, they built a, ba- a big cave. You walked in the Club Imperial, and you walked out a big long hallway with like like a spook house looking thing, and you walk in this big ball into a big room. And which was a back cave, you know, which all the hippie bands played back in the days, you know. Shadows of Night, uh, Kenny Rogers in the first edition, you know. So during this time, I mean, music and, and clubs were pretty segregated. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that right? So how, so during this time, there began to be some um, crossover or collaboration um, and just integration in, in the music scene. Were you aware of that, and did you see that play out? Oh, yeah. See, at that time, you know, a lot of people in North St. Louis didn't like my dad too, but because he did hire, have black people working for him, you know. And these people who weren't happy with him in North St. Louis, were they white? Oh, yeah. But if you look at the old pictures, back in them days, it was different back then. If you looked at all the pictures of Club Imperial with Ike and Tina, all the crowd was white. And then if you want, and then over in East St. Louis, you go to a place called the Blue Note, and all the crowd was black, and I could be playing over there. You know, Albert King and... They all and they all played for my dad too, you know. All the blues guys, you know. And that was unusual for a, a white-owned club. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Eric Clapton's influenced by Chuck Berry, you know. All the guy, all the Rolling Stones, you know. Chuck Berry was a deal. When I toured Europe with Chuck, it, you know, I, I felt like I was I was 23 years old. I was felt like I was one of the Beatles. I got off at Heathrow Airport. And the, they were on the scene, and there was people screaming and yelling for Chuck. I couldn't believe it. Like you see the old foot, footies of the Beatles get up, just like that. I said, "Oh, here I go. I'm going to be a rock star now." And then I figured out how to play bass a little better. <laughs> and you know, now I'm just the music's what's important to me. So you were playing bass, yeah, with, with Chuck, Chuck Berry. Yeah. How long did that last? Well, I played with off and on for ten years. I'll, you know, but I, that tour was, I think, four months. Really? So tell me what would happen. Like the the music would start at what time? People would start coming in, and what would they what would start happening? Well, they they usually did every he did uh, private things on uh, like wedding reception. Every Tuesday night is when they used to do it, and they uh, they would start about eight o'clock, and be over by eleven eleven thirty, and then you know, then people go on their way. And there was a section in the club where they, you uh, could drink. And there's that section where you could be under 21, which just fenced off, you know, back in the day. So, how many people did Club Imperial hold? 500. 500. And it was I bet you I seen a lot more when Club. <laughs> I mean, I remember being there when I continued playing. Baby, So the whole building, I pull out my dance. I had to go run out and get some ice and get some supplies. I come over the hill and the whole building, you can smoke coming out because they smoke cigarettes. And the whole, you hear Tina screaming. And it was pretty, you know, I still get uh, a rush five every time I feel it because it's just a, you know, it's just a good feeling, you know. I said you took my love and now you're gone. Oh, yes, you so how many times would you say 
Ike and then Ike and Tina Turner played at Club Imperial? Every week. Back when they started, every week. Every Tuesday night. Then, then they went on the road, that's when Bob Cupid started playing. And then I, I would always come back to town and play every two, three months. So for how many years did this go on? All the way until Proud Mary, 71. So from when to 71, would you say? 61. So 10 years. Mm-hmm. It was a decade. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so we talked about the heyday. When did the, when did the club you know, start to sort of fall into decline a little bit? Well, when the neighborhood changed. You know, the, the neighborhood, you know, uh, the GM plant moved out, North St. Louis, and, uh, you know, then Peru Agro closed down. It so was, did it slowly, you know, begin to decline over time, or did, was it like a, a, a marked moment? When... Well, we got out in 97. Okay. And then we just, we le- leased it, I leased it out to this other guy, you know, and then the roof got bad, and I could, you know, I you couldn't, it, you know, getting people to pay rent on them storefronts is like pulling teeth, and I couldn't get no money generated on it. So then, at some point, the repairs were astronomical. The tax you couldn't pay the taxes, right? And so, what year was that, and what happened? That was actually when I got out it was 2013. Okay. It started. My mom died in 2008, and and she left him to me and my sisters. And my sisters didn't want to. Have, She'd take care of it. And I said, well, I got a gas bill down here, uh, January 2010, $6,000 for one month. It's just, it's fixable. It's fixable, but it's going to take some work. I, when I had it, I just didn't have the money. I play music, man. I just didn't have the money to didn't need a roof. That was $100,000, you know? So why is it important to St. Louis to well, preserve this building? I would say we had wedding receptions every week, and lots of families got started out of that place, uh, a lot of musicians, and it's, you know, it's been like a landmark right there in North St. Louis for years, you know? So what would it mean to you personally? Well, I would go there, and I'd like to play up there again. <laughs> go up there, and me and Vicky go up on stage and play, you know? So, yeah, and just, just keep, the, keep it going, you know? That was George Edick Jr. reminiscing about Club Imperial, the dance club that his father opened in 1952. And I'm Nancy Fowler, and this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast, produced with help from my editor, David Casares. You can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Cut and Paste is sponsored by Gemma, architects, planners, and designers. Now getting back to Ike Turner and the boys, here's one, one of the most popular tunes of the day, so fine. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.